Right. Hey, if you've got uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to find the Book of Romans. Uh, if you don't have a, a physical Bible and you've got a smartphone with you, I want to encourage you to uh, find the Bible app and find the Book of Romans in there. And uh, also in the Bible app, I encourage you to get your phone out if you want to. Uh, you can download the, the version of that, the latest version of that, and our notes for today's sermon, and for most all of our sermons, are there. You can follow along, take your own notes, links, all kinds of stuff. So jump into that. And um, as you're finding Romans today, uh, if you've got a physical Bible, uh, you might just like move a bookmark there, uh, get your pen ready. Because uh, today we start in the book of Romans, we're going to spend the year there. And uh, I'm excited. Uh, I don't sound excited when I say that. But I'm really excited about uh, this journey that we're going to go on together. Uh, several guys that are, have been working, uh, digging into the passages, and uh, considering what God is saying to us, Christ Community Church, through this letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. And so uh, today, we're going we're to preach on one verse. Romans 1.1, and uh, in that we're going to learn a lot about the author of this letter, a guy named Paul, and uh, it's going to be uh, important for us to think about who he is and who we are in light of that, uh, because we're digging into his word, God's word, through, um, through Paul's lens, Paul's perspective as he writes to the Romans this year, so I'm just really excited about that. So I'm going to read our passage here today, it won't take long, and then I'm going to pray for our time in the word together. So, Romans 1.1. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It never returns void. It changes our lives. It's truth in a world that is so flimsy and shaky about what truth is. And so, Father, I pray that your word would pierce our hearts this morning. I pray that you would teach us through your word, by your spirit, and that uh, our lives would be different as a result of meeting here together with you in the word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Amen, amen. 2018 is gone, and 2019 is here. And uh, that always brings reflection, right? Wes set us up, he's like, you know, tell us, a, share a resolution that you're not going to keep. And, um, you know, we, we all take time, whether we try to or not, I think, uh, reflecting on who we have been and who we want to become as New Year's turn over. And um, it's no different for me. And as I do those things, I think it's uh, important for me to, to be in front of you as a leader and to confess my shortcomings in that, right? So... Uh, as I think about these words here in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, it, it took some time for me to soak in in my life. Servant of Christ Jesus, called to the apostle, set apart the gospel of God. But when these words began to really soak into my life and in my heart, they were, and they zapped me. They were convicting, they were challenging. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. I began to reflect on my 2018 and and if, you've, if you're part of the, the church family here at Christ Community, I, I need to ask you for your forgiveness for something. I, I've, I realized that in 2018, I, I oftentimes was in too enamored with 
with what was to come, and, and in that, uh, I would, would be seeking maybe the grand vision, or the next big thing, or uh, you know, whatever it is that's out there in the future. And in that, it was easy for me to forsake the shepherding, to forsake the, the one person at a time, to, to overlook the small things. And, and so, uh, as awkward as it was, right, I, I was called back to uh, this shepherd's group that was handed to me when I first became lead pastor of Christ Community. It's a reminder of my calling to, to just shepherd the sheep, to be a servant, uh, to be a servant first. And so uh, I, I began in 2019 asking for forgiveness for 2018. And I think that uh, truth and that reality hit me on New Year's Day. The Lord always has funny ways of, of bringing these things about in our life. And so uh, on New Year's Day, I had the opportunity to be a servant, to serve, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to. So um, we partner with a ministry here at Christ Community called Backpack Project. They're housed in uh, Serenity Center, part of Awake Ministries. And um, every Love Shelterville Day on the fourth Sunday, there's a, a group of people from Christ Community that go down to the Backpack Project and they pack these bags that are sent out to the students at all the schools in our county that need food. And um, here's my confession, right? I had never done this. I had never done this. I had never done this. And so um, I also helped uh, Chris Gaither there coach uh, basketball at Collins High School. And we were to have practice on at 6 o'clock on New Year's Day. And he sends out a text and he says, Hey guys, we're going to the Serenity Center to pack bags after practice. And I'm like, oh, you got to It is New Year's Day! I, like, I had two days off over the break. It was New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And I, I'm already coming to practice, Coach Gaither. And now you want me to go pack bags on New Year's Day? And that was my attitude about it the whole day. I didn't want to tell Caitlin because we just wanted that time to get it. You know, tell me you've been there, right? It's like, <laughs> no, I need to go through this, but I don't want to do it, so I'm not even going to talk to Caitlin about it. So. <sighs> so we get there. These were my words to Caitlin as well. Now, hey, uh, by the way, Coach Gaither said that we're going to pack bags, and I feel bad like being a preacher guy and to go to pack bags after practice. Felt obligated. And so we get there, and here's what I find out. The backpack ministry, they count on Christ's community. Every four Sunday, packing those bags and being ready. And so when we didn't do that in December because of all the Christmas festivities, there was a, a gap. There was a shortage. And without telling anyone, without making excuses, when Katie Gaither found out there was a need, she had spent all of New Year's Day getting most of the work done so that the basketball team could finish it. I felt about this tall. I felt about this tall. And it was just that stark reminder that too often I want to serve. <laughs> like, like, I understand the good and the show and the, the, the social media picture where I got to serve. But I don't really want to be a servant. That was too much of my life in 2018. Wanting to serve, to do the right thing, but not to be the 
the servant. And so as these words of Paul to open his letter come into focus, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Man, ouch. I'm not sure that that's me. We want to serve, but we don't want to be servants. You're like, Blake, you're, you're splitting hairs here. You're splitting, like, if I'm serving, then I'm being a servant. There's a difference, right? Melissa Ballard was holding doors open. She was greeting people at the doors this morning. She was serving. But it would be a whole different thing if Melissa Ballard followed one of you around this week and opened every door for you because she was your servant. <laughs> she says she's out. Thumbs down on that. I, I thought I'd try. That would be amazing. This is Melissa Ballard. She's my door-holding servant this week, right? Like, that's a whole different thing. And, and that's a whole different thing that Paul is talking about when he opens his letter this way, right? Paul isn't just someone who did good things for Jesus. He isn't just someone who, who did the right thing in, in, the, in those moments. Paul was a servant of Christ Jesus. Everything about his life was, was given to the Lord's will and to the gospel. What did Paul mean when he said he was a servant of Christ Jesus? What, like how did, what does that tension look like inside of us? He writes about it in another letter, Galatians 1, verse 10. And Paul says, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul didn't care about the Instagram photo. You see, when the things that we do to serve are really for other people, or maybe to paint ourselves in a better light, we're not servants of Christ Jesus. We're servants of ourselves. This is what Paul meant when he said, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. That's the difference between wanting to serve and being servants. You see, to serve is just simply to complete a task, but to be a servant is to be someone whose identity is, is tied to their master. It's to seek his will in all things. You see, when Paul had his life changed by Christ, he let go of all of his plans all the things that he thought life was going to be, and he became a servant of all the things that Christ wanted to happen in the world. If you think about Paul, he had one of the best educations of his day. And in his mind, his life plan was to take advantage of that good education, to be a strong Jewish leader, to be someone who would make sure that, that the things that he stood for and the things that he valued were carried on to the next generation. It's very noble. Sounds like many of the things that we might say ourselves. And so when the Christian movement began to, to creep up and threaten those things, he set up to destroy it. To destroy the Christian movement that threatened his plan for his life. But when Christ came and wrecked his world, when Christ came and said, would you be my servant instead of a servant of yourself? Everything changed. He went from just serving to becoming a servant. He began to travel around making tents that, that like that just paid the bills to feed himself. And in the meantime, he was preaching Jesus. And as he preached Jesus, he was being tortured for it. That's what it looks like to be a servant. And, and you see, Paul is part of our story because he helped get the gospel, gospel to the Gentiles. And that's what gets it to us. 
You see, Paul's life was different. It was set apart. He was a, a servant, not just a servant. How do we, you and I, here in Shelbyville in 2019, how do we struggle to be servants of Christ Jesus? Well, just go back to Love Shelbyville for a moment, right? Maybe, maybe Love Shelbyville days are days that we just take off because we don't need to do another good project. Or maybe when we get to Love Shelbyville today, we only do the projects that we deem worthwhile instead of just showing up with a how can we help mentality. Maybe we struggle to be servants of Christ Jesus by just simply being present, being available. Kenny talked last week about how it's so easy to say we're committed to being a part of this church family, Christ Community Church, but then we see gathering together on Sundays as an optional thing. Maybe in our daily lives, right? Like, like let's go to our home. Let's go to our marriages. Maybe we do something for our spouse, but we only do it to be acknowledged for it. I'll do the dishes, but I want something in return. Some uncomfortable laughter. <laughs> right? We want to serve, but we don't want to be servants. Because you see, sometimes being a servant is about doing what our master asks, not what we want. Being a servant of Christ Jesus may mean defending our faith when we know that it may cost us something. Being a servant of Christ Jesus means taking our thoughts captive and not allowing things that aren't from his word, or not allowing things that aren't from him to, to take over and, and dictate our decisions. Being a servant of Christ Jesus means that we are to pursue holiness in our lives, not just do what feels good in the moment. Being a servant of Christ Jesus means that we're to love one another. Being a servant of Christ Jesus means that we're to store treasure, treasures in heaven through generosity, not simply for ourselves. We want to serve, we don't want to be servants. So I asked myself the question, well, what's the alternative to being a servant of Christ Jesus? Like, if I'm not going to be a servant of Christ Jesus, what, what else is there? And I realized if I'm not a servant of Christ, then I'm serving myself, right? And you say, well, that's, that's not terrible. Life, love, the pursuit of happiness. But there's a problem, right? If we're serving ourselves, that means we're the servant and the master. And if I think about myself as a master, I'm not a very good master. I don't always know what's best. I'm going to let myself off the hook sometimes. Man, when, when I just really get gut level honest, like there's days that the things in my heart and my mind are downright bad. I'm not a very good master. And so when we say, when we decide that we want to be servants of ourselves, what we end up doing is enslaving ourselves instead of empowering ourselves. Like, we just become slaves to ourselves and our feelings and what we want. But when we are servants of Christ Jesus, there's something that's different. Because he is a perfect master. He is a perfect master. And when we say that we are servants of Christ Jesus, we have a master that wants to empower us instead of enslaving us. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Can you say that about your life? Have you abandoned your plan for your life and taken on the plan and the will of Jesus Christ? 
Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. The good news is that despite the fact that we're really bad masters and that we spend days serving ourselves instead of Christ, the great news is that Christ is calling you, you, to get up and go to a life that you don't know. He is calling you to get up and go to a life you don't know. And you say, well, how is there grace in being called by God? Do this little uh, imaginary thing with me, all right? I want you to think of the best job in the world. Go ahead. I don't know what it is. For me, it would probably involve some kind of professional football team, but still Jesus in there. I don't know how. The best job in the world. Now I want you to ask yourself the next question. Who helped you get that job? Right? Who helped you get that job? And would you not be incredible and eternally grateful to the person who helped you get the best job in the world? Forever you would tell the story of how Joe made that call to the front office and got you in as the quarterback at Indianapolis Colts. Right? We would be eternally grateful. Because if somebody made that call for me, I would not deserve it. It would be an incredible grace to me. And I'd play one game and get my butt kicked, and then it'd be over, right? But there would be incredible grace in the fact that Joe called on my behalf and said, this guy needs to come and take this job. You realize that when God calls you, when God calls you to a life that is set apart, that is different, to be a servant of his son, Jesus Christ, he's calling you to the best job in the world, and it's a job that you don't deserve, he is giving you purpose that you never thought would be possible. It's an incredible grace that God would look at us in our fallen and sinful state and call us to a life that we don't know. Like the mystery and the adventure of following Christ and the, the, the fact that he calls us into that is an incredible, incredible grace. So how did God call Paul? We talked a little bit about how Paul set apart his life, how he went from serving himself to, to serving Christ, and, and how Christ changed everything. But, but what did that look like? How did God call Paul? We read the story. It's a great story in Acts chapter 9. We're just going to go to a few verses, right? So let me give you a short synopsis. Paul is persecuting Christians. And when I say persecuting, he's killing them. And he's literally walking down a road on his way to the next city to kill more Christians and God strikes him down and blinds him in the middle of the road. That's crazy. It's crazy. No question, Jesus is calling, right? And he begins to interact with him. And when Paul finally gets to that point of brokenness where he's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? He says, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Here's what's amazing. He doesn't say, Paul, I'm going to radically change your life. You're going to write most of the New Testament, and you're going to be held as a, a hero of the faith forever. Right? He's like, here's what I'm calling you to do. Get up and walk to the next city while you're blind. Okay, Lord. Yes, sir. Right? 
Here's what's even more amazing. That as the Lord is calling you, and as the Lord is calling Paul, he's using people all over the world, this thing called the church, and he's knitting their stories together in incredible ways. Because at the same time as this is going on, we read in verse 11 that he's calling this guy named Ananias to meet and encounter Paul in his story. And he uses the same words, right? Get up and go, Ananias, to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. Now, if you know the story, you've thought maybe some about this. If you don't, imagine being Ananias. You're a follower of Christ. You've heard that this guy, Saul, who was, that was his name before Paul changed, or before Christ changed his life. This guy named Saul had been killing Christians, and the Lord just told you to go meet him in a house. Crazy. Get up and go. Well, Lord, what am I going to do now? I'm not sure I want to go do that. And that's not this grand calling. It's just get up and go. Get up and go, and you don't know what's going to happen. And Ananias doubts. And the Lord says one more time in verse 15. Go, for this man, and here it is, is my chosen instrument to take my name for Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. The vision is painful. There is great grace in Christ calling you and I to get up and go to a life that, that we just don't know. It's amazing how God can do that. And he always knits our stories together in incredible, incredible ways. You know, oftentimes when we start talking about this idea of being called by God, we immediately begin to think of our vocation, how we're paid. But so often, God doesn't think about calling in that terms. Sometimes it involves our money, but many times it's simply just the, uh, the action of getting up and going to the next thing that Christ has put in front of us. At the risk of overusing the Indianapolis Colts, who won their first round playoff game last night, their head coach is a man by the name of Frank Reich. I learned this week, I didn't know this, this is amazing. Frank Reich was an NFL quarterback, and that's awesome. You would expect that from a coach. He played a lot of really good games, that's awesome. But while he was playing in the NFL, the Lord got a hold of his life and began to transform him. And he went to seminary while he was playing in the NFL. And his devotion, his life was so set apart for Christ in seminary that the president of the seminary, while he was still a student, said, hey, when you graduate, will you succeed me as the president of the seminary? He's like, dude, I'm in the NFL. But whatever the Lord says. So Frank Reich stops playing in the NFL, finishes his seminary degree, becomes the president of a seminary, and then he's continuing to follow the Lord in that, and he's like, but you know what, it's about the people. I need to be a servant. And so he goes and he pastors a church. He's like, not sure that was totally him. Lord, what's next for me? How do I keep getting up and going? And then he comes back and begins to coach in the NFL. You see, what the Lord is calling us to, we so often try to, to squeeze it into our, our nine to five. We so often say, well, Lord, I can't do that because it doesn't pay good enough or because I, don't, I just don't know how the bills work. I don't know what that looks like. God, to, to follow the calling that you have in my life. I know you're calling, and that's a great grace, thank you, but, but how do I figure that out? I'm not everybody's life to learn Frank Wright. So how do we do that? God called Paul to be an apostle, but what does God call you to? Let me offer three questions that hopefully we can remember, that we can take with us as we leave this place today, because God might be calling you to something today, tomorrow, next week, this year. 
He might be calling you to, to greater engagement in this church. He might be calling you to help plant new churches as we continue to just breathe life into that vision. We don't know what he's going to call you to do. He may call you to go to a place where the gospel has never been heard and persecute the country and be a missionary. Or he may call you to be an NFL head coach. And if so, would you give me a call? Bring me on your staff. I'll be in the chat. <laughs> Three questions. Would I do this? In other words, do I have passion for this? Is this something that, that I can see the Lord has, has woven my story in these areas? And, like, I can get excited about going to work and doing this, or maybe not even going to work, right? Like, like, would I do this? Like, if this were just something that was an opportunity on the road, would I do this? Number two, could I do this? Has God given me the gifts, the abilities to, to do this? And number three, should I do this? Is there a need for this to be done? Now, I think what you're going to find is that there are so many more things than what we have in our head about what God might be calling us to next. I love the story that Brad tells this morning. Of when I walked up to my apartment, there was a lady sitting on the steps. Folks, God called Brad to minister to that lady in that moment. Would he do that? Could he do that? Should he do that? Yes. What is God calling you to? Don't overcomplicate this. Because you see, you answer the call to a life that you've never known by setting apart your life to Christ alone. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Why did he tag this last part in there? What, what does that mean to be set apart? Paul's response to, to God's calling on his life was to set his, his life apart, to be different, to, to pursue righteousness. You see, as Christians, we don't like to talk about this part of the Christian life. We love the grace of the calling. We love the dreams of what God could be doing in our lives. But then when, when there's a little bit of a dissection and we have to actually leave the old life behind to become a servant of Christ Jesus, we have to set ourselves apart from, from our plan, from the things of this world. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to engage. We don't want to get up and go. Paul, Paul's story, and this, I love this part of this story. Paul was an incredible leader, right? Like high-level leader. He was one of the most trained men of his day. One of the most trained men of his day. And so when he has this moment where the Lord blinds him, changes his life, restores his sight, and says, listen, man, you're going to be used for the gospel. He's like, let's go. I'm ready. Let's take the world by storm, whatever it takes. And we're going to see in Scripture that the Lord says, hold on. you got to set apart your life for the gospel first. Read this with me. Acts 9, 26 through 31. Through 30, I'm sorry. When Paul arrived in Jerusalem, right? So, so he has his life changed. He goes back to Jerusalem where the, where the leaders of the church are. Paul tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. That makes sense, right? Last time he was there, he was trying to kill them. Since they did not believe that he was the disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road. And the Lord had talked to him. And how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas is trying to like, hey guys, he's for real. I'm telling you, it's real. Saul was coming and going with him in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. 
if he tried to kill us, we'll try to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> this didn't work out, man. I don't know what to tell you. So Paul goes to Tarsus, and he's put on the shelf. Time passes. Significant amounts of time pass. And he's just sitting in Tarsus. Lord, I know you called me to be a minister to the Gentiles, but here we are in Tarsus. Don't know what you're doing. And you fast forward to Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Barnabas is in ministry, and he needs some help. And he's like, oh yeah, remember? There's that guy named Saul, Paul. He's just hanging out in Tarsus. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to search for Paul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. You see, there's this moment in this period of time in life where, where Paul is called, and he knows he's called, but he hadn't set his, part, his life apart for the gospel. He hadn't given it over to him. And in this season, the Lord takes him to Tarsus and says, sit here and, and pursue righteousness. Set your life apart. Let it look different than the world looks. Because as you do that, as you, as you bring righteousness into your life, I'm going to teach you and put margin in your life that allows you to minister and to serve to be a servant of me in the days and years to come. It's an incredible thing that as he's taught the gospel, he's taught humility by having to sit on the sideline. The righteousness that the Lord is building into his life leads to his humility. No longer is he Saul take the world by storm, but he is Paul, the humble leader of the church. It kind of reminds me this idea of, of building righteousness in your life, doing the right thing so that you have the margin to lead and do the things that God has called you to. It reminds me of the tension that I felt every day after school when I was in high school. So we would come home, I grew up on a farm, we would come home and we had chores. And when I say chores, it wasn't like take out the trash. It was like go outside and haul hay bales and water the sheep and like significant chores. My parents worked a ways away. And they would tell me all the time, Blake, if you will just go out as soon as you get home from school and spend an hour, you will have the whole rest of the evening to do whatever you want. But what did I do? I came home, and I got on the dial-up internet. Play some game on how new games, because that was a big thing to do then. And I watched the clock. Watch the clock, and I wait for the phone to ring. My mom would say, "I'm headed home," and then we'd rush outside and we'd try to get all the chores done as fast as we could. We never do a good job. Right? <laughs> See, there's this this idea that we need to do the right thing right away. That's obedience, and that obedience leads to the margin where we don't have to feel stressed out while we're sitting at the computer, right? We don't have to feel stressed out as much in life if we do the right things the right way. Because that righteousness, that setting apart of ourselves to the Lord, builds in us the margin that we need to serve him, to be a servant of Christ Jesus faithfully. So what are we, church, what are we doing to be set apart for the gospel? 
What do we need to be doing to, to make our lives right with Christ? What are we doing to set ourselves apart so that, so that when the Lord calls and says, go do this thing for me, we are ready. I have several suggestions if you're in the Bible app. There's a little check box there. You can check those out, all right? I want to go fast. So hang with me. A little bit of scripture with each one, all right? First thing is this. If you haven't turned from your sin, if there's still sin in your life that you just like having there, you don't really want to let go of yet, if you don't do that, then it's really hard to be set apart and all these other things, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He made the one who did not know sin, that's Christ, to be sin for us. We love that. We love the grace that Christ gives us, that he pays for our sins. But then it says, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I don't want to become righteous. I just want to be like Christ died on the cross so that we would be the righteousness of God. Turn from your sin. That's the first thing that we do in setting, our, setting ourselves apart from the gospel. Here's some practical things. When we, when we make that turn, right, the temptation is to manage our behavior. Following Christ isn't about managing our behavior. It's about seeking the Lord and watching him transform our behavior. So here's some ways that we're going to seek the Lord together. Number one, 10-10 prayer. You've heard me talking about this. I love this verse in Acts 1.14. This is after Christ has returned to heaven and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. It says they, that was all the believers, were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Imagine being Mary, who you've just watched your son be crucified on a cross. Come back to life. Now he's gone forever in heaven until he comes again. And she's still united in prayer. So church, at 1010, every day, we're asking that, that everyone in our church at 1010, whether that's a.m. or p.m., set an alarm on your phone, and that you would pray for our church, that you would pray for the mission and the vision that you've given to us, that it would be clear that we would have the courage to, to follow the things that he calls us to, that you would pray for our leaders and for each other at 1010. And imagine the power that comes as all of us are praying at the same time, storming the gates with requests before the Lord. We set ourselves apart by seeking him together in prayer. Acts 2.45 we read this about the early church. It says they sold their possessions and their property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Can you imagine that kind of generosity? As we turn over the new year, most of us are just worried about getting out of our Christmas day. They were selling whatever they had to help whoever they could. And so church, one thing that we're doing to set ourselves apart, to, to continue to, to be available, to create margin for the gospel, we're challenging ourselves, all of us, to increase our giving by $2 a person each week. So if you gave $10 in a month, now we're asking you to give $18. That's $2 a week. Could you do that? And can you imagine the power that happens as, as we come together, each of us, increasing our giving by $2 each week? What are we doing to set ourselves apart from the gospel? Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Kenny talked about this verse last week. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
I use this verse because there are so many things about uh, the church today in America that makes it hard to bear with one another. It makes it hard to have humility and gentleness and patience to listen to one another. So one of the things that we're doing as we uh, move forward together as a church this year is we're doing these things called listening sessions. And we're doing them to consider uh, some of the opportunities that we have as a church, um, the space that we meet in as a church, if we want to have more than one gathering time, how we move the vision and mission forward. And we want to listen to one another and to God as we do that. Church, this is, this is on you, right? Like we are the body. Not me and the elders. Not me. Not me and a few key people. Like we are the church. And so, covenant members, there's a link in that, the Bible app on the Facebook page. You can send a link on your text. Covenant members sign up for these. They start next weekend. All right, there's one on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday next weekend. And then there's several more after that. So the spots are limited, so get signed up. But here's the other thing that I get most excited about, I think, when it comes to setting ourselves apart for the gospel. It's this idea called unusual unity. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for his disciples right before he's going to the cross. And this is his prayer. I pray not only for these, he's talking about the disciples in the room, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and me, if you believe. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one. And then he continues, so the world may know you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Y'all, in a world today that's fractured and divided, it is really hard to be one with anything. It's hard to be one as a married couple. But the incredible gift of God, the prayer that Christ prayed for us, is that when we would come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, right, when our lives are changed by Christ, these amazing things happen. That we have this supernatural ability. It's not normal to be one, but we have this supernatural ability because of the Spirit in us to be united with one another. And it can be so unusual that people look at that and they say, that could only be because of something supernatural. He said, yes. Yes. The God that I serve, he is the one who allows us to be united with one. So church, I want to call us this year to unusual unity. That even when we don't agree, that we would find a way to be united because as we do those things, man, the world is going to look at that and they say, wow, that is weird. How can you forgive that for only by the grace of God? What are we doing to be set apart for the gospel? Today, there may be some of us who are sitting in the room and you're realizing maybe what Brad said in this story. I've believed in Jesus for a long time, but I've not, I've not really been seeking him. I've not set my life apart. I've not made my life any different because of what Christ has done for me. And if that's you, your journey can start today. It starts not only with the decision that you make 
a decision that you confess to the Lord, but it starts as you get baptized. And you say, I'm dying to the old life. I'm dying to the plans that I have. I want to be raised to a new life, to a life that is a servant of Christ Jesus. Because when you set apart your life, it becomes a magnet for the Spirit to do supernatural things. All right. So what do we expect in 2019? We expect to be servants of Christ Jesus. Called by the grace of God. We expect to be set apart for the gospel. We expect that people's lives will be radically changed. That we expect to be unusually united. We expect to send people from this body of believers to plant churches in neighborhoods, communities, and cities that need the gospel. We expect to be set apart in such a way that when God says, get up and go, we will be able to say, yes, we are your servants, and we know that dreams we could never have dreamed are about to become a reality, and things that we thought impossible are about to fill up our eyes. That's what we expect in 2019. That's what it means to be set apart. That the Lord would bring with it a great anticipation, a great expectation for all that He will do. question that follows in Romans 1.1. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, calls an apostle to depart from the gospel of God. Do you want it? Do you want the life that we see modeled and pictured in Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, calls an apostle to depart from the gospel of God? If you do, make the decision to set yourself apart today. Respond in one of the ways that we talked about. Let's pray. Father, we uh, are so grateful for the grace you've given us in calling us to a life that and we don't know the end we do. And so, Father, I just pray that, that you would use your spirit in this room right, right now to give us unusual unity. I pray that you would use your spirit to give us courage if we need to, to act. Father, I pray that you would convict where there's sin abiding in our lives. Jesus, thank you for sending us your spirit, for dying on the cross, so that we can be called to the righteousness we pray in your name.